Let's open up in prayer. Father, we thank you today for your awesome word. God, we count it as a privilege to come into the house of God, to learn from your disciples, God, to learn from your ministry. We pray today that all of our lives will be challenged to live like you, to act like you, and to do the things that you did. In your precious name we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. This is all about living like Jesus. Today's message is do's and don'ts of discipleship. I want to speak to you guys about this. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. If you would probably count how many times you've heard this scripture since being a part of this church, it would probably be like, what, 100 times, 500 times? You hear it all the time because it's so important. It's Jesus' last words to us, and it's the first word. His last words is the first word to us. Do you get it? We showed up as a church. The day you showed up here, somebody should have been doing these words right here. So the first thing you ever had introduced to you from Jesus was probably somebody along these lines doing this commandment, reaching out and having uh, disciples. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. Somebody say everything. Thank you, everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I want to give you some of the don'ts of discipleship, and I want to share with you some of the reasons why discipleship does not work. Now, in our church, we have the Connect, Mentor, Send vision. We are in the top 10% of the nation. Only one out of 10 churches in America today do discipleship faithfully. Only one out of 10. So that means we are in the top 10% of the churches in America that are trying to follow that command, as Jesus said. Now, these statistics that I'm giving you or talking to you about today, they come from this book called uh, uh, Growing True Disciples by George Barnum. If anybody wants to get this book, I recommend that you can get it used on Amazon for maybe five bucks, and it's a great book. Here are some reasons why discipleship doesn't work. Number one, few churches or Christians have a clear, measurable definition of spiritual success. Please take notes while you're listening to this. Few churches have a clear definition of success. So the reason why a lot of you may not be succeeding or going forward in discipleship is because you may not have a clear definition of what you're there to do or what it means to succeed. What is the point? Why are you in discipleship? Well, to answer that question, you are in discipleship so that you can be a disciple that makes disciples. So the most pleasing thing you can be to the Lord is a disciple, and then the greatest thing you can do as a disciple is go and make other disciples. Does that make sense to everybody? So the problem when churches don't have a clear um, definition of spiritual success can't be said at Metro Praise. But if you lose that definition of success, if you get your mind off of that, if you forget why you are going through the 101 and 201, you will then begin to flounder. And when you begin to flounder, you'll begin to lose focus. And here's a statement that says about this. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. If you, na if you aim at nothing, you will hit nothing. You have to be specific in your target and your goals. So as you're going through the 101 and 201 process, remind yourself why you're going through it. What is the definition of success? To be a disciple. What is going to be the thing that you're going to do after it? 
the class, the discipleship. Make disciples. Number two, another reason why discipleship fails in the church. We have defined discipleship as head knowledge rather than complete transformation. So, so many of you will come into the class and you'll have your answers. You'll have your notes and you'll think that that's all that's required of you. And you're not letting God transform you. The 101 is to transform your life. The 201 is to transform your life. When you're getting papers, it's not like, oh, that's just my penalty. I'll take my penalty. No, the paper is to challenge you to become a better person, to learn something about yourself and to learn something about the Bible that you didn't know before. Because if you do not come with the intention of being changed, but just to learn information, then discipleship will fail in your life. And once again, for those of you who are going through the 201 and you're kind of cycling through it, or maybe you're getting a little burnt out, you have to ask yourself, am I allowing it to transform me? Are the lessons of humility really making me humble? The lessons of spiritual giftings, are they encouraging me to go out and get spiritual gifts? You see, you have to look at yourself and see, am I changing? It's like a bank. You can only get out of discipleship what you put into it. You cannot withdraw a million dollars out of your bank account unless you deposited a million dollars into your bank account. Thirdly, we have chosen to teach people in random methods rather than a systematic way. Now, that's one of the reasons why discipleship fails in other churches, but we know that's not going to happen here. And what that simply would mean is one day they're doing one type of a discipleship process, and the next day they're doing another type of discipleship process. And since it's so random, they're not learning systematically. The disciples don't get it systematically. There's no fruit. But the system, excuse me, of Metro Praise is fluid and unchanging. What is the discipleship strategy of Metro Praise, Cynthia Rodan? What is the discipleship strategy of Metro Praise? Connect, mentor, and send. Let's give it up for Cynthia. Amen? Thank you. There is a systematic way of doing it. Number four, here's another reason why it fails. These are not my words. These are George Barna's words. And by the way, before I got into lesson, I forgot to tell you, he interviewed 100 pastors of 100 churches that do discipleship, all the way upwards from 4,000 members to 100 members. And this is the fourth reason that he saw that they were failing or had to work past this problem. Here it is. There is virtually no accountability for what we say, think, do, or believe. Think about that. Why does discipleship fail in the churches? Because there's no accountability. There's no accountability in what we do. You can come to church and say, I believe in Martians. Most churches won't even care. You could come to church and say, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. Most churches won't even care. Because there's no accountability, discipleship fails. That's what pastors said. Are you guys getting this? And I would say the same thing. David Krosko would say the same thing. If somebody came up to you and said, what's one of the main reasons why discipleship fails in people's life? You're a pro at this. What would you say? Lack of accountability. They don't want it. They'll, they'll run away from it. Your daughter was answering for you. That's awesome. Amen. There's no accountability. Nobody wants to be accountable. They just want to come in and leave. 
But that's not a discipleship church, is it? Number five, when it comes to discipleship, we promote programs rather than people. And so what happens is the church says, hey, we've got a small group. We've got a youth ministry. We've got a feed the needy program. We have evangelism. We're talking about good churches. But if they don't make discipleship the key component of the church, the programs outweigh the discipleship, and then the programs take over. And what you'll see is something like this. Somebody will say, I don't need to be in the discipleship class. I'm in the choir. Oh, I don't need to go to the discipleship class. I work in the youth group. I'm a youth leader. Oh, I don't need to go to the discipleship class. I'm one of the assistants in the small group ministry. And that's what churches will fail to realize is that you can't do it just by osmosis. That means just people hanging around leaders don't just become leaders. They have to be taught how to be a leader. And a program will not do that. You cannot learn kung fu by watching a kung fu program. You have to have a kung fu master. Like I was watching The Karate Kid with uh, Will Smith's son. That was such a great movie for families, those who want a good, clean movie. It's mostly clean. And here you see uh, Jackie Chan teaching him the moves. And I love Jackie Chan. Sometimes I think he's a little dirty. His humor is a little off color when he was with the other guy. What was the other guy he was with? Chris Tucker, I think some of those movies were a little dirty. But when you just see Jackie Chan, like in these children's movies, I have a good heart for him. I pray that he comes to know the Lord. But he's an expert in what he does. And when you see in the movie, it starts off with the young boy. He's getting beat up like the typical story goes. And then he goes and watches a TV show where they're doing the kung fu. And Jackie Chan kind of sits back and looks at him and goes, that's goofy. He doesn't learn one thing that way. Because Jackie Chan's in the movie. I won't give away the movie, but he just watches him. And then later on, those of you who have seen it, Jackie Chan trains him. And this is in the preview, so I won't give it away. Just by taking off his jacket, putting it on a stump, and then setting it down, Jackie teaches him some moves. And I know we're laughing and giggling, but I'm telling you, man, that's how Jackie Chan fights because I've watched interviews with him. All of those stunts that you see him do when he uses props, that's all Jackie Chan's creativity to use different things. That's the way he gets his name to fame is using different things to incorporate into his fight scenes. Why is that? Because he's all about promoting his discipleship and teaching over the program. It's not about just watching the show. It's about participating with him. It's about learning from him. And, of course, Will Smith Jr., that kid, learned so much. Jaden, I believe, is his name Jaden? Jaden learned so much just by being on the set with Jackie Chan. Could you imagine being on the set with Michael Jordan or whatever you like to do? Or uh, the cake boss? Some of you. <laughs> Some of you would like that. Amen. Praise God. That's okay. I'll get your number in the class. Amen. Number six. The primary method on which churches rely for spiritual development, small groups, typically fail at providing comprehensive spiritual nurturing. So basically, number six is small groups alone fail at making disciples. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. That's what George Barna said. And I want to connect again with David Carrasco. You see this as a part of what you're talking about, what we talk about in the, uh, our elders' meetings. You can get them to come to small groups. You may even get them to participate a little bit, but nothing compares to when you get them one-on-one. -on -one. Am I right? There's nothing that compares to that. 
when you set them aside and now say, okay, let's talk about the nitty-gritty. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. Because as I said last week, people go from a big group to a small group, and it doesn't change them. Because all they're doing is just still hiding in the crowd. That's one of the reasons why discipleship fails. Number seven, listen to this. Church leaders are not zealous about the spiritual development of their people. Now, once again, that wouldn't happen here. But it could over time as the church gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it gets further and further away from my wife and I and some of the elders here. As it gets down to your generation, when you're leading a small group and your people are coming, if you, stop, if you start losing the passion for the 101s, if you start losing the passion to raise up disciples, the people under you are not going to go any higher than where you are. If you're losing the passion, what do you think they're going to have? Most people are like water. They'll take the path of least resistance. People won't take the challenging course. If right now we went out rock climbing and I said, okay, here is course A. This is the hardest course. This is the course that Andrew likes to do. Here's course B. This is the one that I like to do. Here's course C. This is the one that Josh and Ish like to do. No, I'm kidding. Here's the course that Josh and Ish like to do. Here's the one where it's kind of like walking up the stairs. I'm just teasing them. I'm teasing them. I know. I see now it's like you turn on me. You start to defend your own. We don't, we don't have the pastors back anymore. We'll stick together. But honestly, if you've never been rock climbing, what is everybody going to pick? Most people will start to say, let me do the easy one. Let me do the easy one. Let me do the easy one. Very seldom, unless somebody's trying to be a show-off, will somebody say, yeah, I want the hardest one. Most time, people choose the easiest one. And what that means is if church leaders aren't radical, then their disciples aren't going to be radical. If the church leaders aren't praying and having devotional lives, then the people underneath them are not going to be praying and having devotional lives. Let's go to number eight. Number eight reason why people uh, fail at discipleship, churches fail at it, Number eight, we invest our resources in adults rather than children. So most churches focus only on the adults, and children here is being seen as 18 and under. But that's not true in this church. We see Jason. We see Nathaniel. We see Davi, Jasmine, people who have come from the youth group. Daniel over here. We see King. We see others that are saying as young people we want to learn. And they have to take that serious because if we don't raise up the children, then when they become adults, they'll say church is not for me because all we gave them was candy and their services. And now they come to drink our bitter coffee and they say, no, I'll stick with my milkshakes. And they'll look for churches. And that's the biggest problem right now, by the way, in this generation. My age group doesn't like the churches they're going to anymore because it's not like the pizza party youth groups they used to go to. And that's why so often when you see new people come to this church, they say, man, that's finally what I was looking for. And it usually is like, man, I was looking for that little kick in the rear and, and, a, and a push to do something more because I'm tired of sitting around. Somebody has to help me. And that's why I say this is just youth group for adults. Amen? 
This is just youth group for adults. Because when we think of youth group, not the compromising way, we think of a youth pastor that's relevant. We think of a youth pastor that's exciting. We think of a youth pastor that loves children. We think of something like that. And then we tend to think of the adult ministry as some gray-haired senior pastor that talks with a lisp or talks with a slur, you know, and he's just old. He says, well, guys, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Talks with the list. Whistle, too. He has a little whistle in his voice. I've, I've talked with the whistle so many times that yesterday I was at, or two days ago I was at GameStop, and I, had, I said, I said, well, I can't remember how I did it, but I said something, and a whistle came out. And I just looked at the dude, and I was like, dude, I better stop playing with them voices I do. Because now I'm talking like them voices, you know what I'm saying? I've become, I've become that person. Amen. Number nine, we divert our best leaders to ministries other than discipleship. Here we see that when churches put everything towards the program, what gets last? Discipleship. Do you know how many times I've had pastors come to me and say, hey, you know, just give me your discipleship material. I'm going to give it to uh, my second cousin, third leader that just got cut from the choir team. He's going to be in charge of our discipleship program. I mean, I'm being a little sarcastic, but, I, but I'm also telling the truth. So many times when people think discipleship, they want to get the second string leaders. Now, for those of you that have only really known Metro Praise, that doesn't make sense to you because you see me, the pastor, take the most primary role in it. And then everybody else imitates that. But in other churches, discipleship really is not looked at like the most radical ministry. It's kind of looked at as the most silly ministry. It's like when I see church members come from other churches and they're already married and I offer them marriage counseling, what's the impression that most of the couples have you think when I say marriage counseling? Uh Uh-oh, we're in trouble, right? Oh, Oh, we did something wrong. See, but here when we say marriage counseling, you're like, yeah, I've been waiting for it. Like right now, Sue Ellen and Cher, okay, man, I can't wait. I want to do it. I want to get in there and do it. Pastor, how soon can we start? Because they know that discipleship leads to wisdom. The Bible says in the counsel of many, victory sure. So if you ever find yourself making other things important other than discipleship, there's a problem. Now, let me close out in the last five minutes into these things that the pastor said were the best things that they did. Those were the problems. Matter of fact, I'll just review them real quick so you can have the list in front of you. Here are the problems why churches don't do discipleship well. Few churches have a measurable definition of spiritual success. Number two, they think it's head knowledge rather than transformation. Number three, they have random ways instead of systematic ways. Number four, there's no accountability. Number five, promote programs more than discipleship. Number six, they rely upon small groups. Number seven, the church leaders aren't zealous. Number eight, invest in adults more than children. Number nine, give their best leaders to other ministries. Now, let's get to what pastors say. You need to do to have effective discipleship. This is what the pastors teach. And I'm just going to go through them quickly right now so that you can have it as a resource for, your, uh, for this point forward. Number one, recognize that disciple making is not a process. Or excuse me, recognize that disciple making is a process and not a program. That's the first thing I want you guys to get is that you have to realize you're going to be in this the rest of your life. The rest of your life. It's not a program. Yes, you may graduate from the 201, but then you remain accountable as an elder or a deacon. 
You're always going to be accountable. You're always going to be in the process of changing. Why? Because you're not perfect. You'll never be perfect on this earth. Even though you're pursuing God with a perfect heart, you still can change. My friends, after 15 years, I'm still being discipled. So number one, get it in your heart. Discipleship is not a program. It's a process. And I would say it's a lifelong process. Number two, the process will not occur occur without leadership from the senior pastor. So number two, as long as I am involved in this process, personally being discipled, and as long as I'm making disciples, this church cannot fail at being a discipleship-making church. Because everything will rise and fall on the head. That's why you've always got to pray, Mr. Montez, that I am a disciple that makes disciples. That's one of the best prayers you can pray. One is for my family, for my family to be blessed. And the second one, God, keep my pastor as a disciple. Keep him strong. May he always serve you and love you. May he always grow stronger in you. May he grow in his knowledge of you. Pray those prayers that Paul prayed for his people over my life, like Ephesians. Pray that I'll get filled with wisdom and understanding so that I can grow in who I am. These books and the mentoring that I see so that I can pour it out. Number three, the church's ministry focus must be streamlined to prioritize and support discipleship. Number three, the church has got to be all about discipleship. That means the youth group, everything comes back into discipleship. Are you in the 101? Are you in the 201? Everything about the adult ministry. Well, hey, I want to start a redheaded stepchild, feed the needy to transvestite, uh, transgender children ministry. Okay, well, if you want to do that, you've got to go into the 101. You've got to go into the 101, and then you've got to get into the 201, and then we'll let you start that very specific ministry that you want because everything comes out of discipleship. Number four, the process is not likely to succeed unless there is a simple but intelligent plan for growth. So that's why there's a plan, connect, mentor, send, and that's why it's got to become a part of your heart. Put up the vision for me, Adolfo, please. It's got to be a part of your heart. I am here in this process. Where are you at? Well, I'm in the connect stage. Where are you at? I'm in the mentor stage. Where are you at? I'm in the send stage, now connecting other people. Amen? Number five, the process will not generate true disciples unless it has designated supervisors to facilitate progress and foster creative problem-solving, development, and strive for reasonable outcomes. Plainly said, it will not work unless it can correct those who get off course, unless it has a form of discipline. Because in the process, people fall. In the process, people stumble. In the process of discipleship, people make mistakes. For the discipleship to be ongoing and for it to be successful, it has to have a way of correcting and disciplining and fostering change when people get off the path. It has to incorporate that. That's why we offer the counseling. That's why we offer the papers. That's why we send back those who have issues back into the 201, all of that being accountable through your small group leaders. This process is supposed to generate you to get back into where you're supposed to be. Because if we don't allow you to be corrected, then you'll just get discouraged and you'll fail. The next thing is that we have to learn from other churches and creating a process that works you must adopt lessons learned by other churches. And that's one of the greatest things that you see me doing as reading out of this book right now. Is that I and you have to be students of what church history and good churches have done. That's why we recommend for the small group leaders to read certain books. 
to be a teaching small right now the small group leaders take our lessons and teach them to you for them to become a teaching small group leader they have to read books write reports on them to show that they know how to teach what is applicable to their their to their uh, small group and then i as your pastor learning from the best of the best next to be prepared for burnout and complacency after two or three years of involvement in an intensive program. So some of you who have been through it now for two years, haven't you had to battle burnout? Haven't we had to come alongside of you and encourage you? Haven't we had to be encouraging? Because some of you have been stuck in the 201 for two or three years. The book even talks about you right here. You're not the only one. The top 10 churches in America, top 10% that are doing this are having the same issue. Some people get stuck in that process. They can't get out. They're not graduating. They keep getting set back. Two or three years going by. They're still in the 201, maybe still in the 101. I mean, we're excited about David uh, and Monica graduating with Jessica and Salvador, but they were at the first service that we had our church over five and a half years ago. So we're not saying that to put them down. We're, we're not saying it back to them. Well, it's about time. No, we're saying to them, good job. You didn't get burnt out. You stuck with it. And you set an example for now Josh and Marty and Andrew and Joselito and others who need to stick with it and graduate as well. So can we bless the Lord for them today? Amen. Thank you. Because everybody's got to stick with it. That's why they call it senioritis in high school. Oh, you're ready to go. You're ready to go. That's why so many kids lose their scholarships, throw it all away in senioritis. You'll hear about seniors that uh, at the prom do something wrong, get kicked out of school, and lose their entire scholarship because one of the last events they had, they acted stupid. Don't do that in discipleship. Don't ruin what God is doing in your life. Yes, you've been in the process for two or three years, some of you. But look at how far you've come. Look at where you were when you first got here. Look at how much more vulnerable you are now. Look how much more of a servant you are now. Look at how your attitude has changed. Look at how much more you know about the Bible. All of these things now you take for granted. You never knew those things before, and now you do. Stick with the process. And lastly... Be careful to balance the competing interests with flexibility and structure, meaning the church has to be uh, um, this, the church has to be reasonable in its um, schedule. That's the word schedule. We are not going to require of you more than what is reasonable, as being a disciple. That's why we cut out a midweek service. That's why right now I'm against the midweek service because I don't want you to come to Sunday school then come to Sunday church, then go to the uh, small group, go to your evangelism, either that day or another day, and then be a part of a 201 and maybe have to do something else. Now, if I put a midweek in there, what are you doing? you got like six things on your, your calendar. That's why we don't want to, to, to break anybody. We don't want you to be burnt out. Because of your schedule. We try to make it simple. That's why we put it all on Sunday morning. And as a matter of fact, that's uh, actually the opposite approach Nancy and I have. Sometimes we feel sorry for some of you. Like a Monique who has everything on a Sunday. She goes to 201 on a Sunday, goes to church on a Sunday, goes to her small group on a Sunday. Sometimes we're one like, oh, Dito. Maybe she needs something during the week. But you know what? If she's a true disciple, she'll find that in fellowship. 
She'll find that by her going out evangelizing, maybe picking a Saturday, her joining an after-school program. She'll find that by doing that out of her own heart, not because she's forced to, because we don't want disciples to burn out. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite pastors, he's linked on our website, Robert Morris of Gateway Church, has just finished a $90 million facility has almost 20,000 members, spirit-filled, the largest spirit-filled church in America. Uh, one, one of my favorite pastors, some of you didn't even know that because maybe you haven't looked at the resource page yet, but it's there. Do you know what? He reached burnout one time in his life where he broke down one day and just kept crying and crying and crying. He didn't know why. It was because his body was having a mental breakdown. Now at his church, he sets an amount of hours. I believe it's a little bit after 40 hours, 45 hours. And he says, after that, if you work more than that, we will fire you. Because we will not allow anybody here to get burnt out. And you can talk to the Carrascos, you can talk to Ishmael, you can talk to other families in this place. We always tell you to take your days off. We always ask you as leaders to come to us when you feel you are being worked too hard so that we can come to your aid without apology. We will help you. Because we don't want you to feel that being busy is being a disciple. It's not about being busy. It's about being effective. Would you stand to your feet with me today and bless the Lord for being an effective disciple. Amen. Some of you may need to go back over this uh, message and go and listen to it again. If I had time, I would spend an hour on each point. They're so important. But let's be true disciples that make disciples. Today's message is going to go right alongside of that. I'm proud of what this church is doing. The goal of a good church is to have their discipleship number be anywhere between 40 to 80% of their congregation. And right now, we we were at 70%, and then we came into this new building, and now we're 40-plus percent. But I see all of the new people starting to get their 101s. I see them starting to grow. We have more now than we've ever had before in the 101s, and we're building that 40 to 50 to 60. So can you imagine a church? Let's say by Easter time, our goal is 400 people. Can you imagine a church by Easter where my goal is 80% of them are disciples? 400. Here we go. Let's try this again. Imagine 320 disciples in a church of 400. Can you give the Lord a hand clap for that? Come on. That's 80%. That's 80%. That's got to be our goals, to be disciples and make disciples. Let's pray. Father, make us disciples that make disciples. Help us see it, God, not just as head knowledge. Even this Sunday school, God, help us not just see it as writing down points. God, but it's about being transformed in our behavior and how we live. God, let it follow us out these doors into the worlds we live in. God, let it change who we are. God, we want to be disciples. That's our cry. That's our heart, Lord. And we know that we can with your power. And so encourage us, God, wherever we're weak. God, help us and help us to go out and set that example for others so they can be disciples. That's what you told us to do. That's Your last words are my first word. I take serious as a, as a pastor. You told me to go, and I say, yes, I'll go. Now, I pray this congregation will go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything you've commanded. In your name we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's bless the Lord. Amen. Slap your neighbor high five.